There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And here we are. Welcome to the podcast that finally has a glimpse into the world of the privileged cycling fan. In the Pack Filler Studios, I'm Pat Bolger. How are you, you guys and girls? How's everybody doing? I know you're not going to answer me that, but that is just my go-to all intro catchphrase. If you've listened to this show, you've probably heard it far too many times. Maybe I need to come up with something new, but I'm not going to. It's my little snuggle blanket. But when I say privileged cycling fan, you guys, I finally made the jump. I've been watching bike racing perhaps all wrong for, for these last several years. For those of you who don't recall growing up in this country with cycling as a spectator sport, you attended the races, or when I was young, you waited for winning or Velo News to come out with the coverage about 30 to 40 days later after the event had happened. Now we are in the moment where we... Yeah, we also had had our, our sports coverage with John Tesh in a very young elvish looking Phil Ligon in the day and it was it was good but you know maybe we had an hour wedged in between a, a, a some sort of a sporting event and some other sport that you know we shouldn't talk about and it was it was tough to deal with and and then I I kept maybe I just grew with it I got excited with the fact that cycling's now being covered a little bit more there were some networks that were covering it and it was great and I watched it and all of you guys all this time have been telling me that I am absolutely being a moron and I need to just spend a little bit of cash. Not a lot, just a little bit of cash. Maybe drink a, one less beer a week. <sighs> That's why it took me so long. And 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 pony up for a little bit better coverage. And I did it, you guys. Um, you guys know Paul Main, a, a friend of the show. Um, he's been on those live shows. He's kind of my my second guy when it comes to going on those live shows, Paul finally convinced me to pony up for that NBC Sports Gold app. 
I've got a lot of problems with with all this kind of stuff that we have to pay extra for this coverage, but I also understand that we have to pay extra for this kind of coverage. And so I finally did it. Started with the Tour Down Under, and I was able to enjoy every stage of the Tour Down Under. And actually, that one I was able to watch live because I didn't have to wake up at the crack of the ass in the morning. So it was it was it was enjoyable. It was great to watch every stage. It was great to get involved in that. The commentary, yeah, no comment, but it was it was there and it was available and it was con- and I could even watch it on demand if I wanted to. Little did I know that there was so much more. I've been able to watch the cyclocross races. I've been able to watch cyclocross worlds this past weekend. And oh my god, if you guys haven't watched Cyclocross Worlds, it was a mud, epic mud bath. And it was a beautiful thing to watch. And I have now realized that I'm going to have to probably drink cheaper beer because I am sold. I know some of you guys are going to be telling me, Pat, you just got to go online. You got to search through steephill.tv. You got to find this link. You got to click on it. Oh, nope, that's a bad link. You got to click on this link. I don't have the fucking time for that, you guys. I need my results and I need it right now. I need to know that I can just hop on my Apple TV, scroll, 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 play. I'm lazy and I love it. And it's been fun to watch. Wow, that felt good to say. You guys, I also rode outside this weekend. For those of you who don't live in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, you don't understand what it's like. You don't understand. This Saturday... It was 50 degrees in Spokane, Washington. Yours truly got a three and a half hour ride in. It felt great. I didn't cover a lot of terrain because I was on my cyclocross bike. I was looking for gravel roads. I was looking for dirt. I was looking for fun. And it was beautiful. So speaking of which, I want to ask you guys' opinion on something. I know this intro is going a little longer. Last time I didn't have an intro, so screw you. I have a question for you guys. We've been talking at length about the the status of of cycling, of road cycling in the continental United States right now, and some of the problems that are going through. By the way, today's guest, Bart Bowen, has some insanely brilliant perspective on some of that stuff, and I'm going to get to Bart here in a second. But I want to know from you guys, via email, via Facebook, via Twitter, via whatever method you want to let me know, would this be an interesting form of bike racing. We all know that gravel is is becoming the biggest thing right now. Gravel is popular, right? I came up with the term, and I want you guys to know and back me up here that I am coining the term right now, coining the phrase, right? We have crit racing, right? Crit, C-R-I-T, criterium racing. Who out there would be interested in a grit race? Grit. A very similar style to Criterium Racing, but on a dirt section, a dirt loop, a gravel roads concept, a contained loop that you're doing on gravel or cyclocross style of bikes. Would that be something that you as a cyclist would be interested in? Why or why not? Also, I came up with the idea of a grit TT, a gritty T, a grit time trial. There are some, I don't know where you guys live, but I have some great dirt roads around this area that have nasty climbs that are an out and back that are lower traffic. You're not dealing with that bullshit um, traffic issues that the, and, and not to be 
between you and me, you don't have to do it through USA Cycling if you don't tell anybody, right? No, you t- you tell somebody, but you license it yourself. You insure it. You insure it yourself. And I don't know. Maybe this is a concept. I, I tell me what is wrong with this or what works with this. I would love to hear from you guys on some of that stuff. These are ideas I'm thinking on that are trying to revive the sport primarily of road cycling. Yes, I am a huge mountain bike fanatic, as you guys have heard on the show, but I'm worried about road cycling in this in this country. How can we bring it back? That takes me directly to our guest today. Bart Bowen, multiple-time national champion, rode on some of the prime U.S. teams in their heydays. And uh, it, it was so fun to not catch up because I, I haven't met Bart before, but it was fun to learn this guy's perspective and learn how much he cares about the sport and learn how much he wants to grow it again. It was a great conversation. I hope you get as much out of it, and I hope you understand how much it is in tune with everything I've been saying on this, on this show for far too long. So without further ado, I got to say before we get to it, big thanks to Noon Hydration, NoonLife.com, N-U-U-N, Life.com. Get on there, check things out. They have constant specials going on where they're reducing the cost of their stuff, and you don't need to reduce the cost. It's great stuff. I, I suck down probably two, three tabs of that stuff a day. It got me through my three-and-a-half-hour ride on Saturday, and I came home with a big shit-eating grin on my face, even though I had to write some ice sections. Also, I, they're not a sponsor of the show, but I want to thank my friend Eric Solberg. You might have known him from the Seattle live show that we did there. Eric is with Castelli, and uh, he is helping me design all new pack filler kits for this next year, which will be available to you. If you want to check out what we're doing for pack pack filler kits for the next year, I'm going to get them to you the best price I possibly can. I don't want to make any money on them. I just want you guys out there riding the kits and laughing along with me, especially the one. If you remember the generic beer cans of the 1970s and the 1980s, you're going to love that one. So, Pat, Shut your pie hole. You went eight minutes into an intro. Nobody likes your intros. Hey, you guys. Bart Bowen on the Pack Filler Podcast. Okay, you guys. Today's guest has, I I guess we could say just to start, competed in six world championships. He won the Herald Sun Tour in 92, the Tour of Japan in 97. And, of course, he was national champion both in 92 and 97. And now he's taking on... Uh, road cycling in the U.S. by helping to bring back one of the classics back here in the Northwest, Oregon's Cascade Cycling Classic. Let's welcome to the show Bart Bowen. How are you, man? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Hey, no, my pleasure. Um, you know, in my, and I guess I could say my humble opinion here, your, your career was truly what I consider in the midst of, of cycling's heyday in the United States. Um, what was it that, first of all, kind of got you inspired to be a bike racer and got you going? Uh, well, I come from a ski racing background, but I remember sitting on the couch watching the Summer Olympics, the 84 Summer Olympics, and uh, watching the Americans do really well, uh, you know, in the cycling events. And I had kind of taken up cycling for training, and it definitely got me fired up. I was kind of like, wow, I wonder if I could do that. Um, and I was very fortunate to uh, kind of have friends in Colorado and such that got me into the sport of, of racing. And, you know, I did a couple races and I got the bug. Uh, and I definitely agree. Like that was a great time to get the bug because things were just, you know, kind of escalating 
in uh, USA Cycling after, especially the, the success of the '84 Olympics. Oh yeah, I mean, with uh, as a guy who kind of I started too with ski racing and moved into it, but as a, you know, Steve Hegg, for an example, was a great ski racer at that time who was also competing domestically in the U.S. and things like that. So I guess yeah, you could probably see a lot of that crossover. Yeah, it was amazing because, you know, Steve and I actually ended up being teammates and then racing against each other most of our careers. We were either teammates or racing against each other. And then, you know, same with Alexi Graywell. He was the gold medalist that I watched, and we ended up being competitors most of the rest of his career when he came back from Europe. And then, you know, I got to race with Steve Bauer, who was in that race for oh, yeah. his final season on Saturday. So it was kind of like, wow, all these people that I – kind of started reading about in magazines and following in Vela News, which back then you read Vela News to get the results that happened a month later <laughs> uh, or earlier. And yeah. so, you know, it was a very different uh, mentality. As well. Now we get our news so much faster, but back then the heroes were like, oh, I read about that guy, wow, and now I'm racing against him. So I felt really fortunate to to be in that kind of, like you said, that era where cycling was just growing by leaps and bounds. Yeah. There was some great programs in place and racing at that time was, you know, if you were successful, you could kind of win enough money to go to next weekend's race and then win enough money to go to the next weekend's race. Yeah. And that's, that's where we all started basically at that time. You know, I, you're, you're mentioning some of these riders that you were talking about racing with and that you were reading with when you were reading about when you were younger, you know, I'll go up to interview some of these guys and my hand will be noticeably shaking with a microphone. Was there, I, I couldn't imagine having to compete against some of these guys, you know, as you grew up reading about them kind of, you know, about you, I had pictures of them in my, on my wall or something like that. Was there a, a shock value that, or were you able to go, okay, you know, I guess here we are, you know, here, me, uh, Alexi Graywall, I won 84 Olympics. I'm going to try and kick your ass today or something like that. You know, I think it was more about just pure excitement. Like <laughs> I kind of had a dream to, you know, be a, well, at first it was a ski, a ski racer in the Olympics. And that kind of, you know, I, it went its course. I mean, I, I was fortunate to get a college education out of it, ski at the NCAA level. Oh, wow. But as that was happening, I was transitioning into being a pro cyclist, and pro cycling just fit me. It was like, wow, I finally found the sport that I'm really good at. You know, I was good at that, but I'm really good at this. And it was also always a challenge. Like, I loved it when Roy Nickman showed up to our local race in Albuquerque or, you know, like I said, I got to race with Alexi and all the, against those guys in the first tour. My first tour of Texas was like, I call it off the bench. I hadn't raced all season yet. I was <laughs> racing for uh, Subaru Montgomery at the time, and Eddie B decided to throw me into a 10-day race, you know, and it's like, here I am with Leonard Harvey Nitz and Mike McCarthy and, oh, you know, wow. Steve yeah. Hag is my teammate, but I'm racing against, you know, Keith Full and, you know, the whole 7-Eleven team, and it was like, wow, this is, this is crazy, but at the same time, it was awesome. You know, I was like, this is where I want to be. Oh man, yeah, and and to go from well, Super Montgomery was a, a really you know obviously a great club grew and a clubs a team grew into what we could probably call postal, and then Saturn, which is a club that you rode for, um, growing powerhouse in the U.S. when you were involved with that team, um, what that squad was there ever and did it start off with this envisionment of we're going to be a, a domestic powerhouse or was it always the dream to go above and beyond? Well, definitely when I went from Subaru to Saturn, you know, I, you know, the thing that enticed me was that Saturn, uh, 
seemed like they were in it for the long haul, which they obviously were. I mean, they've been one of the best American yeah. sponsors they've ever had in cycling. And they were definitely looking at that next step. How do we get to the Tour de France? How do we, you know, how do we get to Europe more? How do we get more exposure? Um, and so that was really, you know, what took me, I would say, from that, you know, like I said, Subaru kind of, like you said, turned into Montgomery Bell and then eventually into Pulsa. But there was a couple down years there. And so Saturn was a shift for me to be like, okay, I'm not, I'm not making any changes. I'm still racing high domestic and we're going to back to Europe because we had been in Europe with Subaru. So it was, you know, that was enticing. And then I think when we got to Saturn, just the camaraderie and the friendship and the family of that team was so amazing. I mean, we had, you know, Frank, Frank and Mark McCormick and Norm Alves and Brian Wall. I mean, the list goes on and on. Fred Rodriguez and all these guys came through the program. And we all knew how to race, you know, without really talking about it much. I mean, we, we made a plan, but it was, it was almost like we knew each other so well that things just happened. And we knew where to be when we needed to be there. Yeah. Um, and that was amazing. It was an amazing time. It was like kind of all of us had already gone through a growth of, you know, our younger days of cycling where we were learning a lot and getting schooled. And now we were on the flip side of that where we could, you know, handle any situation and, and come out with a pretty positive outcome because we were a real team. I, I mean, I've never been on a team where guys sacrificed themselves so much for the end result. Wow. Uh, and that was, you know, and it didn't matter who it was. You just did it. You know, and some days it was you that got the benefit of, you know, standing on the top podium, but it was because of your teammates that that happened. Wow. You, you talk about things happening. Um, and I just, there's, there's, I don't know if we could call it a cultural shift or whatever's going on with with especially road cycling that's happening in the United States right now. Can you identify what about the 80s and the 90s that made cycling work so well for the U.S.? Well, I know that's a target. You know, I, I, keep, I, keep, I keep asking myself, you know, obviously I'm being director of the Kansas State Cycling Classic. Now I'm asking myself, what makes a race successful? <laughs> what What is it from the... What what makes it from the, the spectators' point of view, the riders' point, you know, the riders who are doing it, and um, and the sponsors, what are they getting out of it? You know, we are they getting the benefit? Uh, and I think at that time, obviously, you know, in the '90s especially, we had a obviously a, a huge growth in America, and there was a lot of corporate dollars behind cycling, and and cycling was seeing a major growth, so there was more dollars. It seemed like in the I don't want to say it's the grassroots. It's kind of the middle yeah. roots, right? Because grassroots is maybe even lower than that. This was like the the semi-pro league of America trying to get to the pros of Europe, right? And yeah. the Tour de France. And we had that breakthrough with, with 7-Eleven. And obviously, Le Mans led that charge. You know, there was all these, these factors that happened. And, and then it was like, all of a sudden, we had some teams racing in Europe. And that fostered more growth of kind of, I feel like, what I was a part of was that huge growth in the domestic scene where we had so many strong players and we were all getting paid the decent salary. So it was like, okay, we're, we're pros. We're, we're yeah. acting like pros. We're being pros. We're, you know, representing our sponsors. We go to the race and the race is like, it's put on the right way. Um, and the fans see that it was, it was a nice relationship between them all. And I think, you know, there's been changes now, and it's it's harder 
to, to create that atmosphere, it seems like. What do you think those changes could be? What could we identify those? You know, I, I've talked on this show about, you know, insurance issues, um, aging clientele. The, the cycling has a learning curve, and a lot of people like to just go out and get involved in a sport and get a participation medal. Um, and, you know, wh- what could we classify is going on to why we're having such a cultural shift in the, in the States here? Well, I think it's maybe a, it's a it's a time caused by a time shift that happened in terms of we as a generation, like say my generation that's obviously much older now, and then generation just behind us that was kind of the early two thousands and 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 to maybe two thousand seven or so. That generation of cyclists, you know, came from a young, pretty young grassroots you know like we had Plymouth Reebok we had the 7-Eleven Slurpee Juniors we had a couple other programs Levi's all these kind of high level junior programs that were getting some pretty good recognition and then that was where the feeders to to the pro ranks Um, and at the same time we had the same situation in our races so I mean if you look at the domestic calendar now I mean we have more UCI races on the calendar yet we have fewer in the middle races and fewer at the bottom races, you know, or, yeah. or starter races, let's say quality. Yeah. And yes, that is, that's a tough place because those are the ones that, you know, they're not creating maybe a lot of exposure for their sponsors in terms of television or, or Facebook or whatever it is now, right. It's the media is, is gone wild. And so as a sponsor, you look at where you're putting your dollars, you say, Oh, I'm going to sponsor this little race here, or I'm going to put it into something big where I'm going to get TV coverage, TV coverage or internet coverage globally. And I think you see that, like we have, like I said, you know, we've got the Amgen tour. We've got some great events that are at the high level, but at the community level or the middle level, that's where we're having a hard time getting people for one younger participation and the fans to realize like that this is an exciting sport to watch. I mean, we have, I mean, you think about from the nineties to now what people are doing on motorcycles and dirt bikes and mountain bikes. I mean, we're in this kind of adrenaline, huge ramp up that, that the X games and Red Bull have brought on where, you know, crit racing. Okay. Well, that's, cool people crash but i'm going to watch this guy fly over you know a 40 foot gap (laughs) so that's what we're competing with and on the younger generation we're competing with screens you know yeah we're competing with the phone we're competing with the computer we're competing with the xbox there's a lot of that 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 kids are getting their you know their adrenaline from versus out on their bike um and i see it i mean I'm, i'm involved with some junior programs here in bend oregon and and our, my goal is to say, like, look, guys, if you just get out and we ride our bike and we go 20 abreast into this turn from crit racing, it's going to be adrenaline. And they, <laughs> the kids see that. They feel that. And that's why they like cyclocross. You know, cyclocross yeah. is a great example yeah. of, of what's working in cycling. It's exciting. It's short enough where you can suffer, you know, that long. You don't have to wait four hours for the race to develop. Yeah. It's developing in front of you in a matter of minutes. Yeah. And I think from an American point of view, we love that. And I think you look at the world. I mean, I think worldwide people love that. Yeah. They, they want to see the action. I mean, I sit in front of the Tour de France and what do I see when, when I'm watching them climb, you know, I'll do something. I want to see someone I get attacked and yeah. get dropped and see some action. I don't want to see them go steady and slowly shed guys off. I want to see 
that moment. And that's what we're all waiting for. Uh, and I think, you know, as a racer, you're all like, yeah, you love the long races, the long grind outs. But as a fan, you know, you're kind of like, man, let's get to the action now. And I think, you know, we've seen from the shorter stages in the Tour de France, even that that is a positive thing. People want that. And the racers race more. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's that balance. You know, how do we get back to that? Yeah. Oh my God. You covered so much. And that answer, that was awesome because I mean, I was just thinking to myself, I watched uh, the cyclocross worlds this, this past weekend and I was watching all the fans around that, that enclosed venue. And you're right. It's almost like a, an X games, kind of an amusement park style of an event. And then you switch over to a road race where Phil and Paul are getting kind of mellow in their conversation because it's, you know, there's three hours left in a stage and, there's a seven minute gap on the break and, you know, they're thinking it's going to come together and I'm going, how can these two sports compete for people who might not have that, that background and a life spent watching the sport and getting involved and it gets really difficult. I've heard some people involved in, in events. Well, first of all, what got you to this point where somebody actually said to you, Hey Bart, you want to take on the classic and bring this, bring this race back to life? Well, you know, it, it, did you lose I, I a guess bet? I, you know, five <laughs> years ago, if I was laying in my bed or even a year ago, I probably wouldn't have said like, yeah, I'm going to be director of the Cascade Cycling Club. That's my goal. <laughs> that was definitely not my ambition, I would say. Um, but I have to say a couple things. I moved to Bend, Oregon because the Cascade Classic was here and I wanted really? my kids, my two young boys to be able to see a professional race and see what their dad used to do. Cause they weren't around when I did that. Yeah. I, it was after the fact. <laughs> and I also wanted to be involved in the race in a positive way. So, you know, I've been a director in the race. I've raced the race as a master, you know, just to kind of be part of the sport yeah. and give back. Um, and also in the junior part of it, like trying to really get, how do we get more kids involved? I, and I see that as like the biggest question we all should be trying to answer. And cause that's where it starts. That is the true grassroots kids riding bikes, whether they race or not, it doesn't matter, but kids riding bikes, is what starts into cycling. And like I said, we are competing with so much just to get that kid on the bike that if it isn't exciting or fun, the first couple times they're done. Right. So, you know, it's, it's one thing to see kids riding around the neighborhood. Awesome. But I think even that is, is, is in jeopardy because of so many things. And I think that's where we have to keep asking ourselves, like, how do you get like a kid that's never raced or never had a really chance to ride, come out and try a cross race or try a fun little crit where they're not racing by themselves, you know? And, um, I never really got to race juniors. I raced one year as a junior and it was, you know, a few races in New Mexico and then a national. So it wasn't like a big part of my career. Uh, but I see it now with the kids that we work with that, man, this is such an opportunity, you know, like, I don't know if you got to watch the junior world race at, uh, at cyclocross this past weekend, it's on replay now, but it was crazy. It was awesome. Those kids were racing full throttle. And I mean, not, not one, like breaking away. It's like five, six, wow. seven guys just attacking and just taking chances and falling down and, and just racing, you know, and it's like, wow, that's awesome. That's what we need to be trying to get kids to do is, is enjoy the racing. Um, and how do you do that? I think that is 
a um, a question that I'm trying <laughs> to get to with the classic in many different ways. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, when it came to me and people were asking me, hey, would you be interested in keeping the classic going? I was really like, man, I don't want to see it go away. Uh, and I'm a little bit, you know, that's a big job. That's a big task. I already have a job and I have kids and I have this, <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I'm willing to, to, to get, to get dirty and see if I can make a change in cycling in a positive way. So that's, that's where I'm at now. Well, okay. Again, the answer you give had me thinking so many times throughout. Um, when we come to this issue of juniors, um, as as somebody who has I, my son is in college now, but uh, trying to get him into cycling, and he is in cycling. It's a part of his life. But he was always also involved in another sport, and other sports have become so demanding in the time. I mean, if you got a kid that plays soccer, soccer is now a year-round sport. Basketball is now a year-round sport, and we've got these kids who are unable to, you know, their coaches won't let them go, or you have a tournament all summer long when usually these kids like you and I, who are ski racers, could cross-train and do another sport. Um, and I think that's that's a big problem, and that's a big issue right there that's dealing with taking these kids away. You said screen time. Another thing that is obviously gigantic. Um, and and I, I think parent concerns were, were parents who are, I mean, globally, I think we're now fearful and a little more overprotective. We don't want our kids going out and playing amongst cars on a, on a road bike. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, culturally, we got some problems right now with what's going on in terms of a sport like what we're trying to promote. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, I think um, you hit on, you know, all those points are super high on the list of why yeah. we're at where we're at. And, um, I, I totally agree, you know, with the, the, you know, kids on the road and all that. I mean, it, it's, it is, it is a big one <laughs> to try to, how do you get a kid, you know, and, and I, I have a lot in the works and it's hard to talk about a lot of it. Cause a lot of these are ideas that are coming to hopefully fruition here in the classic cycling passage. Cool. But <laughs> my whole emphasis is to have a multi-tiered approach to getting more kids into the sport, you know, and I think it's great. We're seeing more development teams, you know, like the Boulder junior cycling and, and uh, we've got cycle you up in the, in the birds. I mean, and I just, these are relationships that I've started to create. And, you know, um, one of the very interesting things that really kind of was an epiphany for me was last year I took my son to the Ron Heyman classic up in Canada and it was a junior only stage race. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a 14 year old racing in the fifth with the 15, 16, 17, 18, and they had them all together. 
and God. not racing much road before. He'd done some cyclocross, and he's into it. He wanted to go to this. So we, 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 said, we, we made an adventure out of it. We're going to go try this little stage race in Canada. It'll be fun. And, you know, <laughs> we, we had our junior gears on and everything, and I was kind of like, I was a little worried that he was going to get blown away by the 1718s. Uh, but what was amazing to me was to see that this group of 60 riders, all these combined ages, and, you know, they did like a little hill climb and obviously things split up, but not too yeah. bad. And then yeah. they did a fun 50 mile circuit race on a racetrack, you know, a, like a, not a formula one, but that type of racetrack, okay. you know, yeah. three miles long. You could, you could see most of it. And the kids were just rolling around, you know, 20, 25 miles an hour the whole time. And there's lots of racing going on and lots of attacking, but nobody could really get away. Even the really strong kids, because there wasn't enough elevation. You know, it, it was flattering. You know, you see a kid get out there in a, you know, a, a 50, 14, and he's spinning at 120 RPMs. They only can do that for so long, yeah. you know, and then the rest of the group kind of comes back. And the message I kept getting from my son throughout the weekend was, and that was so much fun to be in that 50 rider field, you wow. know, and feel the excitement of guys, you know, passing you in the turns. Are you passing them? Are you accelerating? Are you sprinting in a field sprint? Because the, the circuit race and the crit came down to a field sprint. And it wasn't until the last day where they had a, they had a hilly circuit, a hilly race that it things kind of blew apart. And my son actually got dropped on the downhill because you know, <laughs> it was like, he wasn't descending long enough, and then when he came on the flats, he couldn't catch up yeah. because the gear restriction was such. Just spun out. And I yeah. always wondered, like, wow, you know, gear restrictions, what does that really do for us? Okay, you know, we have all these things. Oh, it saves the legs, it does all that. You know what the most important thing it did? It teaches them to race. And I think it goes back to, to like, think of NASCAR, right? They have all these regulations to keep the cars as close as possible. Yeah. And why do we love NASCAR? Because they're racing. They're racing head to head and people get fired up about that. Yeah. And it made me realize that kids, that's what they want to do. They want to be head to head. They don't want to get in a crit and it get blown away by the kid who has a mustache when he's 16 <laughs> and he's riding, he's riding, you know, big gears. Yeah. And all of a sudden the kid who's 15, who weighs 80 pounds is blown off the back yeah. and they're all time trialing. That's not fun. So that's the, like to me, that's the elemental piece that we have to be able to provide as a sport is better racing. And that, that will entice not only more riders, it entices sponsors. They want to see excitement. What is the most exciting races of every stage race? The Ben Crit down here is where yeah. everybody wants to be because they see a lot of racing. And it entices the, the fans to get involved because they want to you know, see that excitement. So those three things that we're trying to get back in the sport can be facilitated if we just remember that. That's the element. We have to have good racing. And I think if you have this long, drawn-out show, da-da-da, with TV, that's great for the Tour de France. But I think in America, we're not the Tour yeah. de France. No. We, are, we are different. And we need to, you know, we need to realize that and we need to, Think about like back. I remember the races I did, you know, like the Bisbee Crit or yeah. Philly or Pittsburgh or Atlanta. All these races that were awesome were because they had a great course that was technical and hard. They also had, but you could race on it. And then they had fans and they had money supporting it. You know, it was like all these 
key races that were exciting had those elements, and that's what we have to make. You know, that's that's what we're striving for. You and I are you and I are recording this show during you know the biggest sporting event day in the United States. We're recording this right during the Super Bowl, and I I, I have to admit I watched the first half of the Super Bowl, and I looked at my wife and my mom's here and things like that, and I looked at them both and I said I can't believe we're in this culture where. United Americans in general tend to be a little bit more instant gratification. Yet, I, yep. I paid attention to how many minutes were wasted. You've got a 60-minute event. There are four 15-minute ha- uh, quarters in a football game, and it takes over three and a half hours to broadcast. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. How, how can how can a how can a bike race with constant attacks? You know, especially when we have a NASCAR culture. What's going on? Why 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 aren't we go, buying into this as as a, as a United States culture? And you're talking about events too. And you you know I thought about Philly when you were saying that, and I was thinking, okay, it's a great course in a metropolitan area where people can sit in restaurants and watch things happen, or they can go to Maniunk and they can watch the wall and stuff like that. Great visual elements, but especially for you, a guy who's trying to revitalize a, a, a race, um, how do you deal with permit restrictions, with police agreements, with closing off roads and all these types of things? I've found so many more races that I attend are now out in the middle of nowhere on this closed course, and they're dying because nobody wants to go out there and see them. The only people watching are friends and family or bike racers whose races haven't started yet. Yeah, I think that's a huge hurdle, and you know what? It's one I'm I'm con- I'm jumping over every day. Yeah, I mean, I've designed new courses for the classic that I feel are going to create excitement and community involvement. Right. My right. ultimate goal here is that if I can get community involvement in a positive sense, instead of oh, that bike race is a pain in my ass, it's instead, hey, that bike race got my kids involved in a sport <laughs> that is lasting a lifetime. Yeah. If I can flip that mentality and get the city to realize like, wow, this is a positive, positive impact, not just because a bunch of bike racers come and race because it gets those kids away from their screen. It gets them off the couch. It gets them to ride their bike downtown and, and watch something that they can be a part of. Right. And on many different levels, you know, I don't care if you're riding a strider, let's have a strider race. You know what I mean? Like get, more kids to the race and create that atmosphere that is like the cyclocross race, you know, where it's family, it's friends all out there doing their thing throughout the day. And it's a real positive experience for all. And yes, those are easier because they're, you know, they're closed and, you know, it's, it's, I get that, but that model can be brought somewhat to the road and yes, traffic concerns and how do we close off metropolitan areas, like you said. I mean, those are all huge hurdles. And a lot of times it's brought apart because we've accepted, you know, that we've lost the battle with the car, you know. Yeah. And we have to keep the battle going. You know what I mean? We are part of the road system, you know, cycling is. And we have to keep that going. And I think in Europe, that's the difference, right? In Europe... You know, cycling's been there for so long, and cyclists, yeah, they're accepted. I mean, yeah, there's certain roads you don't ride on, but, you know, for the most part, when you're in Europe, you're given just a little different respect because they've watched that guy climb on the Tour de France, or they've watched the race in there, or they've had a hero from their hometown. 
you know, and that really changes the social mentality there. Yeah. Uh, and over here we, we have that disconnect, right? You know, I mean, it, it's, it's not every day that, you know, like for instance, the town that I grew up in in Rodoso, I mean, there wasn't a lot of cyclists from there and actually, you know, we've had a lot of talented cyclists come from there out of the 10 that were there, yeah. <laughs> but you know, people, local people were much more aware when I was there that, Oh, there, there might be bikes on the road. Right. And that's okay. Um, so it's definitely a, an awareness that we have to keep bringing up. And I think the more we go out in the country and we try to get away from it, we're actually making it worse, right? We're making it harder to bring ourselves to the people and get people excited. Cause what you ultimately want is you want that kid on the side of the road who's never who's maybe got a bike, but yeah. never seen a race. And all of a sudden it comes in his neighborhood and he's like, wow, mom, I want to try that, you know, or dad, let's try doing that. That's what you want. And if you're out in the country, that kid's never going to get that opportunity. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Do you now, there are a couple other issues that I think sometimes, uh, especially road cycling gets stuck with. Um, I'm seeing a huge trend. Mountain biking is obviously doing well. Cyclocross is doing well. Um, cycle with road cycling, you always run to the unfortunate tag of elitism where you've got, um, people who have been in the sport for a long time, unwilling to share maybe with new, or you've got that tactical element that needs to be learned. And some people tend to not be, involved in that um do you think elitism is something that exists in the sport and it, and if so is there a method of dealing with it i definitely think that the biggest hurdle to getting into road cycling or cycling racing in general is that first purchase right yeah uh, if i have to buy a five thousand dollar bike to get into this sport oh god yeah. i've already upped the ante really huge now imagine this imagine that you're the son of a former professional road race champion. And you know, you've got a good bike, but you line up and the guy next to you has a $12,000 bike. Right. <laughs> and you're like, Holy cow, Dad, yeah. what's up? And I'm like, Hey, Hey Gavin, you know, this is what we got. You know, we're, you know, we got, you know, your brother's playing soccer. We got expenses. This is it. Yeah. It makes me realize that, you know what? And this is, this could come from the top down. The UCI could change this whole model for everyone. They could say, you know what, manufacturers, we're creating a junior bike. This junior bike comes with junior gears to start with. You don't have to go buy them after you've already bought a production bike. This junior bike is made out of aluminum, and it comes with nothing better than Ultegra. Yeah. And so every junior that lines up on the line, guess what? They're on a 2000 or a $1,500 spec bike. And it doesn't matter if it's a Trek or if it's a Giant or if it's a Specialized or if it's a Canada or if it's whatever. It has to be spec this way. And now the kids are just like, guess what? They're back to the NASCAR model. It doesn't matter about the bike. It matters that you're out there racing. And you got to get into racing for $1,500 instead of $5,000. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that you only spent fifteen because guess what? That kid over there has the same bike. I, I... And all of a sudden you've created a culture of like, okay, this is attainable. It's like having the same football equipment, right? I mean, it's like you want to go to the race and realize that the equipment is not what's making the difference. It's the, you know, yeah, extra training and yeah, there's maturity. We're trying to make it more fun. And I like you go back to that element of fun is 
it's more fun to race with 20 or 30 kids next to you than you time trialing by yourself. Oh God. Yeah. And if you can take away, Oh, well this kid's got a 12,000 on a bike with carbon reels that I never got to race on when I was a professional. And I'll, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like those type of things kind of deter. That's where the elitism starts. Right. And that's where like, it kind of takes away from the kid who's trying to get it done with the parents that are like, Hey, yeah, we'll, we'll spend this. We want you to do it. And then they get there and they're so disappointed because you know what? It wasn't necessarily the bike, but that doesn't help. No, it doesn't. you know, it doesn't help create a playing field. That's fun. And I think that's, you know, it could be as simple as, you know, a high school league where kids all have a single speed with flat bars <laughs> and they do a relay race. That's to me is a, it's preaching racing, you know, that yeah. racing is fun and that's what we have to have. I, 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 God, I hope something like that could happen where we could actually you know, tear it down. My, my dad always used to tell me when I was a junior, when I'd look at kids with better equipment, he'd say, hey, buddy, it's all in the legs and things like that. And, you know, a lot of me was like, yeah, okay, dad, it's all in the legs. I understand. But damn, that, you know, that bike looks cool or something like that. Yeah. You know, and that's hard with kids. Um, our other stigma has obviously been um, the elephant in the room, the doping uh, issue, you know, and, and how we're dealing with this. And again, here we are on Super Bowl Sunday. And I think if we were to go out onto the super onto the football field right now and blood test everybody out there, we'd probably get some positives. Um, is there a hypocrisy here with cycling, or do you think this is something that's truly damaging racing? Oh, you know, it's it's hard. It's to, one yeah. of those things with cycling. You know, cycling is the most tested sport in the world. Yeah. So we're going to get, we're going to get more positives, right? You're right. If we went and tested every weekend at an NFL or an NBA game or a baseball game, I guarantee you we're going to have some positives unless they cover it up. Yeah. And it's with that, with all the sports. And that is very unfortunate, you know, because I think as kids, you know, we have these dreams. I want to do the tour or I want to go to the Olympics and it's going to be clean and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be awesome. And it can be all those things. Um, but it also becomes this moral dilemma, you know, and I think that the more my goal is that, you know what, as a kid from, let's say, 14 to like 21, 23, there is this window of sweetness that that we're not capturing that can really change the sport, maybe from a generational point of view. And I think right now, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it's great that we have so many more outspoken athletes about, you know, clean sport. And I, and I, I want to believe that things are much cleaner. And when I watch the tour and I see guys that are that tired at the end of the race, I realize that's real. You know, when I see a guy who's going, you know, 25 miles an hour up the last climb after they've raced 120 <laughs> miles, I'm like, that's not real. Yeah. So, to me, as a spectator and analysis, I'm like watching it going, yeah, okay, those guys are all tired. That's why they can't attack because they are cleaner, right? And maybe they're not on clean, but they're cleaner and they're feeling tired. That's good. That's yeah. human, you know? Yeah. Or that guy was amazing yesterday and look at him today. He got dropped. That's human. Yeah. And that's what we have to keep telling our kids, you know, it's like, Hey man, if you have an amazing day on the bike, enjoy it. It's awesome. Some days you are unbeatable, clean, you are unbeatable. And then the next day you might be terrible because you pushed yourself so far beyond your limit. 
that you're going to be tired. That's okay. That's normal. Yeah. And that's the message that it's, it's not normal to, to go a whole season and win every single race, you know? And nowadays when we see guys specializing in all these, you know, events, and that's because it is so hard to win one race. Right. And so they have to specialize and really get there. And I want to, I want to believe that, you know, things are, are cleaner or trying to be cleaner, you know, but gosh, you know, I mean, it, it's not, uh, you know, not a month goes by. It doesn't seem like where we read something. Yeah. And, um, I think this is an, again, to uh, a way to look back and say, you know, our, our shorter races, you know, like, a, like a cyclocross race today, the men's race, it's an hour long, you know, and it's yeah. like, that's pretty doable. I mean, it, you don't have to be doped to the gills to do that. You're racing once, you know, and, yeah, it's not a and thing. it's, it's very real. Right. And, and so if they're not doing it tomorrow again and the next day again, and the next day again, that's where the, the demand gets a little bit, I think too much. And so like, as you know, when you look at races, is it better to have shorter races where the riders can actually recover, you know, real recovery and, 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 and they're more exciting, you know? And yes, one day, two or three guys might be really good. And the next day, Oh, they're dropped or they're not as good. That's okay. That's, that's, that's real. Yeah. So the, the model in theory needs to change a little bit. And I think, you know, like we, it seems like what we've been talking about here is the sport in the United States has been doing it this way because we've always done it this way. Um, you being in Bend, first of all, being in, and then being in Oregon, second of all, uh, Oregon seems to be pretty proactive in terms of how they look at the sport and how the sport can potentially change. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to some sort of an uh, of a concept where we can save it where it's not just going to turn into fondos and and short little uh, tiny races and mountain bike racing only um so about the classic itself uh, first of all when and where and and you know what's going on with the, with the event there i know that race directors uh, lose sleep at night because pre-registrations are always the biggest thing to be terrified about. So let's get the word out. <laughs> when is it? What's going on? And, and who are the people that need to get involved? Well, uh, the race has been moved from its uh, typical mid-July time. Uh, that was one of the things that that we, you know, realized right away. Uh, Bend is, July is the busiest time for Bend uh, of all year in terms of tourism, you know, so... Yeah. You know, occupancy rates are at 99% basically. <laughs> so, you know, we worked with Visit Bend and said, okay, well, where, what are some good windows that actually can benefit the community and, and be positive for the race? So, you know, the new date is May 31st to June 3rd. So it's that very first weekend in June is what we're moving towards. And I know we have some conflicts, you know, on the calendar this year because, you know, there's some races that have been around, but we have to do this in order for the race to survive. Yeah. Um, and for us in the Northwest and on the West coast, it's a nice West coast swing. There's a lot, you know, masters nationals a couple weeks later, there's a lot of positives to this time for our racing calendar. And we have to look at that too, because we're trying, you know, my number one thing is to bring more categories back to the race because that brings the community in, you know, whether it's the cat threes or cat fours, the juniors, you know, we're definitely bringing junior categories back to the classic and we're inviting juniors from all over to come and participate in a great event that's geared towards them having, you know, safe races and races that are appropriate. Um, and those are the key things that have changed. You know, right now we also eliminated one day instead of five, we're, 
we're going to four, just a budgetary thing this year, you know, as we kind of get back on our feet. Yeah. And in those four days, though, we're going to have five stages. So the wow. first stage will be a stage 1A and 1B, and the morning stage will be a road race. The afternoon stage is a is a three-mile time trial that's Eddie Merck style. So oh, it's uh, no TT bikes. It's on a very <laughs> technical course. Um, and, you know, that's another reason there is like, I don't want to make it so if you have, you know, oh, I've got a truck full of TT bikes and, you know, no, let's make it simple. Like bring one bike, bring your race bike and let's race it. You know, let's, let's get down to the fundamentals here. Um, and then, yeah, we've got our downtown crit scheduled with a big festival on Friday night. We've got another road race scheduled for Saturday. And then on Sunday, we've got a, a final uh, road race with uh, some finishing circuits uh, out at Prasada Ranch. So, mm-hmm. which should be awesome. There's a five mile circuit there to finish, you know, a very long road race. So we're still having the length of the races. But we're coming in and we're finishing on some circuits where we can actually have some fans watch yeah. what's going to happen the last 20 miles of the race. Oh, man. And every race, you know, has been designed with that in mind. Like, what happens at the end? How do we get people there? Not just the people that are racing, but fans to come and enjoy this. And um, like I said, there is going to be junior categories. Uh, we are trying to introduce a high school race uh, on our Friday night crit. And it'll be, you know, just a fun race, but hopefully getting, you know, 50 to 70 new kids on bikes that have never raced before for a fun race. So we have a lot of things, or I've, you know, come up with a lot of things that are trying to re-energize the sport with involvement from the community and getting more kids out on the bikes. Shit, dude, that sounds, that, I hope any potential club presidents or things like that are listening to some of this stuff because there are a lot of key elements you guys are talking about. Um, first of all, broad array of categories. It is not just an elite race. Thank you. Thank you for that. Right. And, and second of all, talking about bringing these places, it, you know, in a festival, a criterium on a Friday night where people can, you know, I, I've, I've announced crits in downtown areas where people are just sitting there at a cafe going, wow, what's going on? And as, a, as an event announcer, my job is to kind of help those people sitting there drinking a beer learn what's going on, and they get excited, and the next thing they know, they might become cycling fans. And, and to have an event, an event in finishing in a venue, even if they've been out on a road race, and they come in and they do those final circuits, that's going to be vital to, to the success of an event. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, like I said, I'm... <laughs> I lose sleep over it. Like, okay, what are we? What else can we do to make this exciting? You know, and it's, yeah. it's got to be exciting for the racers. I get that. You know, I was a racer. I'm trying to remember the most exciting races were the ones where there was people on the side of the road, you know, yeah. firing us up, and we are putting on a show for those folks. Yeah. And, you know, we are amped up to kind of keep the action going. Yeah. That is super important. And, you know, as the fan, you want to see that as well. So there is this symbiotic relationship that has to happen in order for the event to be successful. Yeah. So before I even let you go, tell me, obviously, you know, we, you and I tried to schedule this event, this interview a couple times. You know, I had some problems and, and you were busy. Um, tell me what's going on with Bowen Sports Performance and, and what was the inspiration to start that and what, what that's all about. Well, that was definitely, you know, Bowen Sports Performance was, was basically hinged on my move to Bend. You know, I found a community where I could do my coaching at that time and some bike fitting that I felt was sustainable. Um, it's been more than that. You know, we have grown uh, the past, you know, 
seven years kind of steadily into where we do, um, you know, we do about 18 indoor cycling classes a week uh, on Wahoo Kickers. And uh, I have five other coaches that help me coach those. And then we uh, specialize in one of my specialties is bike fitting. And I have another bike fitter that we work closely together to, to help clients really fine tune their fits to that nth degree. Uh, and you know, all types, you know, some people, a lot of, we have a lot of people that come to us with, you know, ailments like, Oh, I'm not feeling good on my bike. I don't like to ride anymore. And we try to help them get comfortable and, and get out the door and get back, back to their cycling. We also run camps actually, this past week, my uh, crew just came. They're on their way back from Palm Springs tonight. They've been down there for 10 days doing two cycling camps that we just started. And then we'll, our next one will be a gravel grinder camp here in the um, uh, south central part of Oregon. And then we head down to California later in, in April for another big spring camp with clients. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of coaching. Uh, so it is a... <laughs> Those are kind of the four pillars, I call them, the camps, the cycling classes, the bike fit, and coaching. Those are our pillars. You know, in between that, we do some cyclocross clinics. You know, I've helped to put on a number of cross races and design courses. That's, I think, where the cycling classic has come from is in the past five years, I've helped design a lot of courses here in, wow. in locally in Bend and, and, you know, just be involved and, and give back to the sport. And I really enjoy that. I enjoy trying to create something that is experiential for not only the fans, but the riders. And I think the, you know, the Cascade Cycling Classic is another challenge, you know, and, and, and I've sat down and said, why are we not having more kids do this? Why are we, you know, why are we having a hard time putting on these races? What's the most exciting races to watch? Just keep asking the questions and trying to figure out an answer that, that works right works with the community works for the racers and it works for the fans those are the three things that really have to happen so how can uh, for you in terms of bone sports performance um what who should seek you out and, and how can people do that well we do have a website uh that's probably the easiest thing to find out what we're doing or you can give us a call um the number is 541-977-1321 or email me at Bart at BowenSportsPerformance.com. Um, we, like I said, we do a lot of, uh, a lot of things. You know, we, we put on some special camps uh, actually for women cyclists that we've done, where, which are skills-based. So like you've never, or you've ridden a little bit, but you want to learn how to descend or you want to learn how to corner. We've gotten into that and we do that for some, some uh, Portland-based groups and some Bend-based groups, which is awesome because it's very gratifying to teach those skills that yeah. we often take for granted. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely easily contacted. I would say we're, we might be busy that very moment. People a lot of times don't realize how much is going on in our, <laughs> our 2,500 square foot space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Bart, first of all, uh, thanks. Thanks so much for your time. And, and second of all, I, everybody who's the fan of this show has been listening to this for so long knows that I am a huge fan of getting kids involved in the sport. And they're probably, you know, been, I've been talking about this ad nauseum since I started this show in 99. So people are probably sick of it, but I'm so glad to hear somebody else talk about it. And also somebody who else who has an effect on making that happen. So, uh, thanks so much for that. And, uh, good luck, man. Thanks for being instrumental and bringing back this event to Northwest cycling. No, thank you for the time, Patrick. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. I am going to that race in May. 
I have got to go to that race in May. I want to see what Bart is dreaming, what he's creating, his concept. It sounds like what road cycling needs in this country. We are being forced out into the backwoods. We're being forced out into remote areas. We are being forced into uh, very low spectatorship. Nobody wants to sponsor a race with low spectatorship. Nobody wants to sponsor a race where you're just catering to the crowd that already exists. He wants to get kids on bikes. He wants to get kids racing on bikes. Oh, my God, I found a brother in arms when it comes to help trying to get cycling where it needs to back, back to where it needs to be. Excuse me for that in terms of uh, where we need to go with it in the United States. You guys, I hope you got out of that what I got out of that. I do want to say a very short thing, and I probably am going to try and touch on this a little bit further on further podcasts, uh, especially in the near future. This past weekend, we lost a legend in cycling, in United States cycling. We lost the great Fred Mangoni. Menjoni. I hope I got it right. I always read it, you guys. When I was young, I always read his name. I never heard it spoken. I always read it, and I always read what he did up to the sport and how he helped so many incredible riders. Steve Bauer, uh, Matt Eaton. I'm trying to think of all the riders who rode under the Fred Mangoni colors. Uh, Mike McCarthy rode for Fred Mangoni. I'm, I'm flipping back between the pronunciation of his name, and if you know the correct pronunciation of his pronunciation of his name, tell me, but don't be a dick about it. We lost a legend and a, and a huge patron of U.S. cycling. And I just, it, it, it saddens me. And I want to try and find some riders who rode under his colors and under his, his help and um, talk about how important he was to the sport. So, sir, thank you. Rest in peace. You will not be forgotten. You did some amazing things. This has been another episode of the Pack Filler Podcast. You guys, if you like what you're hearing, like us on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, drop into Facebook, tell me what you think, good or bad. I don't give a shit. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.